Welcome to Shear Jashub, brought to you by the Church Fellowship of Shear Jashub Christian Tabernacle of Madison, Connecticut, and featuring the teaching ministry of Pastor Greg Scalzo. Hi, I'm Patty Scalzo, and today we will be continuing with the in-depth Through the Bible series entitled Heavenly Authority. So let's join my husband, Pastor Greg, as he begins the Sunday Sermon. Today we want to start by looking at Saul, uh, the first king of Israel, and one of the most tragic figures in the Old Testament. And a study of Saul's life could easily be subtitled a warning to those in leadership and is very appropriate to our study on heavenly authority. To review, we've seen how the people have pressured Samuel, the judge, the prophet, for a king so that they could be like all the nations around them. They're in a very turbulent, dangerous time. You have the militant, warlike Philistines who are a constant threat, and the Israelites want a king to lead them to fight their battles against the enemies. Remember, they're a loose association of tribes at this time. Their central worship place in Shiloh is gone. There's no formal government. There's no central power structure, no monarchy. And they reject the reign of God as their only king. And they reject the leadership that God gives them as the Spirit moves and raises up judges to deliver them at different times in different places. And so God has Samuel, the last judge, give in to their demands and anoint Saul as Israel's first king. And we've spoken about Saul before in this series on heavenly authority. If you remember, when we studied about the call of God in Moses' life and how Moses persisted in the attitude, send someone else to do it, and he kept saying how he was slow of speech and tongue and of faltering lips. We read how the Lord's anger burned against Moses. And we said at that point in the series that there's a certain position you can get to in humility. It's good to be humble. But there's a point that we can come to where humility becomes false humility. It's really a type of pride. It allows us to say, oh, no, Lord. I just can't. I can't do this. I'm not able. Who am I? And it goes from true humility to false humility, which then becomes pride and a hindrance to the will of God and how God's anger burned against Moses when he started to persist even after God told him several times, no, I want you to do this thing. And at that point, to give a further example, we looked ahead at the call of God on Saul as the first king, and we'll see again as we read the section in more detail this time, how initially Saul is humble. Uh, he's not prideful, but how that humility becomes a false humility, and we wind up at the point when God is anointing him to be king, having Samuel anoint Saul, that Saul is there, this big fellow hiding among the baggage, no, I can't be king. And finally, that he becomes one of the most arrogant kings you can think of. From hiding in the baggage 
to being the irritating, prideful king that's throwing the spears at David. So we spoke about Saul at that point, his resistance to God's will, and how false humility can lead very easily to pride, and his life is an example of it. We also spoke about Saul when we studied Balaam and the section on Balaam and then Miriam and Aaron and the man of God versus the prophet of God and how God can anoint even when sometimes people are not perfectly in the will of God, at least for a time, how Miriam and Aaron were prophets of the Lord and yet God's anger burned against them, how Balaam heard the word of the Lord yet he turned against what God wanted him to do. And in that point, we read from 1 Samuel how initially, and we'll see it again, the Spirit of God came upon Saul, changed him into a different person, anointed him for service. We'll see how Saul wins great victories under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and yet he still has a free will, and he becomes disobedient. And he finally is rejected by God as king, and a matter of fact, God sends evil and unclean spirits to trouble him because God sees what he's done and Saul's in terrible torture by these evil spirits. And then he becomes resentful against David, even though David's plane drives out the demon spirits for a while. And even though he becomes such a man outside God's will, and there's a terrible end he's facing, Yet, you'll read in 1 Samuel chapter 19, verse 24, that when Saul comes upon the prophets, the presence of the Spirit is there, and just like before, Saul lays down all day and night, and he prophesies so that the people say again, is Saul also among the prophets? Even in this terrible state, he still can come under the anointing of the Spirit and exhibit gifts of the Spirit and prophesy, though now he's not like the man he was at the beginning. And for a time, how the gifts of God are irrevocable. They're still there, even though the man is facing a terrible, tragic end. And that's why we studied how it's important to be a man of God, not just a prophet of God, not just to have gifts of the Spirit, but to hear what those gifts are telling us and to do them and to change inside. Because even Saul was said to be among the prophets. So that's how we touched upon the life of Saul in the previous sections of our study. Let's look in a little more detail at what the Bible tells us about this man. And we'll start in 1 Samuel chapter 9 and verse 1. It says, There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish. So we're speaking about Kish here. Kish, the son of Abile, the son of Zeror, the son of Bekorath, the son of Aphiah, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. And he had a choice and handsome son whose name was Saul. There was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And Kish said to his son Saul, Please take one of the servants with you, and arise and go and look for the donkeys. 
So first of all, we see in the section several important, unique qualifications that distinguish Saul as a candidate for the kingship. Okay. He's a Benjamite, number one. He's a man of Benjamin. His father, we're told, Kish, is a mighty man of power. Mighty, Gibor. That word is used over and over in the Old Testament. Gibor, a mighty man of power. That word in the Hebrew for power can mean wealth or standing. It means a mighty man of force. And that force can be a force of men, of means, of wealth and other resources, of an army, of virtue, of valor, of strength, prominent, powerful, positioned, wealthy. That's his father. And he himself is a choice and handsome, or some translations will say goodly. Uh, the NIV will say impressive. Good in the sense of being impressive, attractive, handsome. Matter of fact, in all of Israel, there's not a person more handsome, more charming, more presentable than Saul. Not one other among the children of Israel. And in height, he's very tall. From his shoulders upward, he's taller than everyone else. He's more than a head taller than all the Israelites. You have to remember, the people here, they're the ones asking for a king. And we've said how God will give a king that fits the people. He gives a king the people deserve. And he has to, if he's going to give in to their desires, he has to present them with a king that's acceptable to them. One whom he can anoint and he chooses. God does the choosing. But in this cry out for a king, it has to be someone acceptable to these people who are so longing for the king. He's obviously going to try to satisfy them. And in doing so, he uses some of the attributes of authority that human beings find acceptable. And there are three things here that human beings find very acceptable in their leaders. Now, from God's perspective, these attributes are not necessarily bad. They can be useful qualities in an individual. But on their own, they're certainly not enough, from God's point of view, for heavenly authority. Because God is more concerned with the important matters of the heart. But people tend to look on the things that are external, the outward things. And God gives them a king in Saul who fits many of the outward signs that people look for in a leader. And again, it's not bad that he has these qualities. God can use them for good, but people see them as the necessary requirements, and God sees the heart. God might see more valuable a young shepherd boy that's less consequential like David as being a more appropriate king than this man who has all the outward signs of leadership that the people are looking for. Notice first he's a Benjamite. There's a political acceptability in the fact that he's a Benjamite. You know at this point that there will develop, and there probably is at this time, tension between northern Israel and southern Judah. Eventually, it will lead to a separation of the nation. You know there's a competition between Ephraim, Ephraim, the tribe from Joseph's son, where Shiloh was, and Judah, who was rising in power, the place where ultimately Jerusalem will be settled. 
and Benjamin falls right in between. It's situated on the border with Ephraim on the north and Judah on the south. So coming from Benjamin, being a Benjamite, he can appeal to both the north and the south, coming from an area in between central to Israel. So he has political acceptability. He comes from a powerful family. His father is a powerful man. He's a man of position. Obviously, you see here, take one of the servants, meaning they have more than one. He probably has wealth. He has donkeys. Perhaps some of his other servants have lost the donkeys elsewhere because they have to travel a bit in their initial start of the search for these donkeys. So he's got people. He's got cattle. He's got position. He's got resources. And even today, many times you see in the political arena, in order to have recognition, name recognition, there needs to be some contact of a family. You see how all the Kennedys are in political positions, how name connection can mean political success. So his father is known. His father has money. People tend to look up towards those that have money. We love to hear from our radio family to know if our program has helped you in your walk with the Lord. All correspondence should be mailed to Shi'ar Jeshub Christian Tabernacle, P.O. Box 518, Branford, Connecticut, 06405. Shi'ar Jeshub Christian Tabernacle meets at 10 a.m. on Sunday at the Madison Memorial Hall on Meeting House Lane in Madison, Connecticut. Please join us next time for Shi'ar Jashub.